You're listening to a podcast by Mission Field USA, a church planting initiative of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. For more information and resources, visit lcms.org slash church planting. Welcome to your next installment of the Mission Field USA podcast. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Steve Shave, Director of LCMS Church Planting, and with me today is my co-host, Reverend Dr. Mark Larson, Manager of LCMS Church Planting. Hello, Mark. Good, uh, Good to be with you, Steve. Good to be with you, too. And today we have a very special guest. We don't often have other uh, employees here uh, with the Office of National Mission, but my counterpart, as I also serve in urban and inner city mission, uh, is Reverend Todd Kolbaum, who serves us as the Office of National Mission Director of Rural and Small Town Mission. Hello, Todd. Hey, hi, guys. It's really good to be on with you today. It is good. We don't get to work too many times. We kind of seem like we're in different worlds. I'm the city and you're the country, right? Yeah, and it just shouldn't be that way. <laughs> it should. And we'll talk about that. We'll talk about right. some of the similarities. but uh, And we have a little bit of healthy competition, not really about missions, you know, no. because we both see mission across the United States, but more about who has better wrestlers, uh, the city or the country? I don't know if you knew this, Mark, but I think I did not. Todd and I are about as good as they get in the Office of National Mission when it comes to wrestling. Is that fair to say, Todd? I think we could be considered the top two wrestlers yeah, in would, O&M. It could be. Yeah. We would make an amazing tag team. We would. I wouldn't go against you. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, I wrestled in high school also. All right, all right. Yeah, for a little right. while. Yeah. Well, Todd and I are in the I don't think I was in the same weight class. Higher weight class. <laughs> Definitely higher. Oh, I'm saying. <laughs> they don't even have my weight class anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we won't go there. All right. So uh, it's good to have you with us, Todd, because what we want to talk today about is Mission Field USA, the opportunities that exist no matter what the context may be, what some of the differences are, whether it's in the city or the country, um, and just how there is some similarity and how we kind of have a shared model in some ways in terms of how we reach out to others. Um, no magic bullets per se, but uh, hopefully we give people some fresh ideas and understanding about what the mission field looks like. So I'm going to get us just kind of started talking about church planting. I noticed uh, for me and a lot of conversations that I've had in my position here with other national leaders and et cetera, um, that there does seem to be kind of a trend for, you know, the the biggie. You know, a lot of church planners would really love to be a part of uh, the beginning of a mega church and a large section of the country that's growing that's kind of always been a healthy model for, like, where where is this community that's just busting at the seams that needs a new church that's going to give you a huge brand-new congregation? Um, but I think that that does come with it some some shortcomings. I think that, you know, obviously those are a little bit more high risk as well. If it's in a, a particular uh, part of a city, per, for example, that's very expensive. You know, if you're talking about a million dollar investment, um, that's a little bit on the higher risk side. I think it makes it a little bit more difficult to replicate, you know, to say, hey, this this thing was amazing. It's uh, growing leaps and bounds. Um, but is it really realistic overall uh, in multiple 
replication that you could do this over and over again because I think the numbers bear themselves out that the average worship attendance is about 70 people. Uh, so the the odds of you church planting for a megachurch are probably a little bit smaller than if you were going to uh, come in around that. And I think, you know, just in terms of what we'll talk about today is that whether it's in a struggling small or inner city neighborhood or if it's in a rural small town, um, they need the gospel. Does that sound right to you, Todd? I, that's right on the money. Steve. Okay. <laughs> that's good. So, so Todd, you are kind of our subject matter expert in all things rural small town. How, how do you define for people what, what I mean, I think we kind of know, but how do you define what it is to be a rural church? Well, really, I guess statistically, if you are uh, anything rural and small town would be anything with a population of 15,000 or less. Mm. And so, I mean, generally speaking, that's what the census considers it. Now, that, that gets skewed a little bit because in a lot of urban areas now, they have the, the designation when you get into the outer suburbs and you go beyond what would normally be considered the outer suburbs, you are in the, the ex-urban area, mm-hmm. which, yeah, they have great access to, the, you know, to, to shopping and things like that and, and even health care, but yet they're still rural and small town in in nature, the way people think, the the makeup of the congr- uh, the congregations or of the communities, and so a lot of those are pulled out of the mix. But yet they really still are. So so it, it's really more about the mindset of the community. Uh, we look for places that primarily are engaged in extraction services, so mm-hmm. uh, uh, agriculture, mining, uh, forestry, uh, and then there's a lot of places that uh, fall into that same category because. Uh, of tourism, so hmm. they they uh, they attract a certain number of folks. So they they might seem a little bigger, but the actual population is pretty small. Fair enough. And you know, you and I, yeah, we could wrestle over <laughs> you know the urban cluster. Sometimes it does have more of a context that uh, seems more rural, and some more urban, even though they might be kind of the suburbs of the city. So right. I, it is kind of a tricky thing. But I, you know, I've kind of seen. Um, characteristics, let's say, for the the rural, that it is less dense than in the urban. There is usually a sparser population than, you know, city centers are pretty, (laughs) obviously, you know, not as built up, uh, you know, in terms of uh, the the build of the the neighborhood and more of at a distance feel, I think, for a lot of the, the congregations than you might get in the urban setting. So Yeah, you're you're drawing from a, a bigger geographical area than you would be, say, in the city center where where your your whole neighborhood is a matter of blocks. Yeah. Out here it's a matter of, you know, miles yeah. and miles. Right. I mean I my first call, uh basically my, my circuit was practically the whole state. Right. <laughs> and then I went to the city and we had two circuits for one one city. So yeah, yeah that's that's a pretty good pretty good indicator. And I think, too, in terms of the demographic shifts, uh, I think it's pretty well known that uh, the cities are beginning to have somewhat of a comeback. I mean, you can say it's partly suburb, partly city. The the cities themselves now seem to be outgrowing and outpacing their suburbs in a lot of our our major cities. And it does seem to be kind of a, a next generation thing that we're seeing the young urbanites that are moving back. Um... So I do think that there are some demographic shifts. And again, that can kind of sway one way 
or the other. But I, I think overall there seems to be a tendency to believe that the population is going to continue to grow uh, maybe a little bit faster pace than in the rural. Do you think that's fair to say? Oh, I think that's that's definitely fair to say. I yeah. think really, you know, you, you really make a good observation, especially with, you know, so gentrification of, of many, you know, urban neighborhoods, mm-hmm. and you've got kind of the, the that's the hit place to be now yeah. uh, to show my age. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so that you're seeing a, a fairly substantial population increase there. <clears throat> where you're seeing kind of changes in demographics, obviously out in the rural and small town areas, it's, it's generally there is a, a population decline where we do see folks coming back, at least to a certain degree, is those folks that have moved into the city and, and they're migrating back out because it's so easy to, uh, to telecommute. It's so easy to do your job from wherever you're at. Mm-hmm. So we are seeing some repopulation of the rural um, Certainly not outpacing the the, the move to urban, but right. um, but some repopulation of the rural uh, with folks in their probably late 30s and early 40s. We've mm-hmm. seen that demographic coming back in. You know they they've they've done that they've done the urban you know cool thing, and now they're moving back where they can get settled. It's safe. It's 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 cheaper mm-hmm. to live, and and so they're 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 making use of of those kind of um, uh, amenities, and and uh, and and increased internet speeds and things in rural which we didn't have oh yeah still don't have in some places but uh but you're seeing that as well so it's really a matter of keeping your eye on those kinds of those trends where and where right where the mission where the mission's at i mean if if you're just talking about kind of what is our base of work in the lcms um there's no doubt that our rural small town makes up a huge population of of our existing lcms population mark did you want you know uh uh, Todd I c- had a question. I think a lot of our podcast listeners uh, might think that a rural and small town are going to be pretty homogenous and lack minorities. I wonder if you had any comments on mm-hmm. that. Are you seeing an upswing in uh, different sort of demographics and ethnic groups? Yeah, it, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, even in the, I've been doing this now with RSTM for the last six years, and I, I think you do see a lot of uh, you know homogenous uh, groups. Uh, populations in in a, in a lot of towns, but you're seeing more um, you know, immigrant populations settling down in rural places. Typically, you can find them around uh, where there's industries uh, that attract groups, such as uh, packing plant industries, um, some some large ag industries where they're they're uh, employing a lot of workers, dairy. Uh, those types of things, and you're seeing a lot of a lot of immigrant populations which are coming in, and really, uh, in a lot of cases, uh, uh, acclimating themselves well into the community. The communities are receiving them well. It's keeping these communities alive, and yet the the worship side of things, the the mission side of things, um, we we just don't we, we just don't feel like we're equipped necessarily mm. in these places to be able to reach out to those folks, and that's. That's something we're really trying to address as well. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, as you look historically at the United States and how things started in the port cities, and you know, then you have the push towards the West and kind of going out into the frontiers. I mean, it's it's never been a one or the other. It's a, a both and, and that's kind of what I was looking to talk about as well. Is just that's that's very similar, right, Mark? I mean, whether it's urban, whether it's rural, I mean, there's no denying the fact that the population of America um, 
from the founding of the LCMS to now, uh, there's been a, a huge kind of demographic shift that's happened since that we, we need to consider when we talk about doing new mission work, whether it's in the rural or urban. I think, as uh, Todd was pointing out too, you know, we, we've spoken about this many times, Todd, you know, whether it's the opioid epidemic or it's poverty or unemployment, you know, so many of the things that make you think of city and country as being two different worlds, um, sin is the same <laughs> across <laughs> yeah. the board. And so a lot of the same uh, things that we are trying to address uh, through God's word and mercy, I think there's a lot of similarities. Does that sound right, Todd? Oh, absolutely. I'm, you brought up the opioid crisis, and mm-hmm. I think uh, that is that is becoming as big or uh, <laughs> uh, worse a problem in, in rural areas as it is anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, the the um, the idea that, the, or the stigma that that's all, you know, that stuff that happens in the city, that's yeah. gone. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think the, you know, the meth epidemic that, that really plagued the earlier 2000s, and it, it's still a major problem, right. uh, is really now converting over into this op- opioid, if I could speak, <laughs> opioid problem. Sure, sure. Uh, because it's, it's um, there's less stigma with it because you can kind of keep it under the wraps, and right. so we're seeing that more. And, and, and where it's pushing in harder is, is more of if you you know quote unquote the mainstream of rural mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. where you had the fringe groups that were they were you know they were exploiting some of these other uh, drug issues uh, now it's becoming mom and pop yeah right and down all, the all the things that go along with that like human trafficking I mean all these kind of what were notorious kind of big city uh, kind of things I think uh, across America even. Even when you think about uh, the rural small town, you know, you always thought about the faith community, the local church, you know, even the secularization that's happening. I mean, and kind of, I I don't know, from what I've heard, sociologically speaking, it kind of happens in the city as the center, as the hub of technology and culture and all the rest. And it does make its way and ripples its way out. But whatever the case may be, we're, we're very... Uh, similar in terms of the the changes that we've seen. Yeah, Mark. Uh, Todd, I wonder if you would like to comment on the uh, state of the family in rural and small town mm-hmm. areas. Um, uh, you know, for example, uh, I'm from Nebraska, grew up in Nebraska, out in the country, so I can kind of really relate to this, but my family is probably pretty typical in that, you know, with the mechanization of agriculture, you know, my, my grandfather farmed 120 acres, uh, my dad didn't. We we could never have lived on that small of uh, of a farm, uh, you know. So eventually, um, you know, my parents moved into town, and then um, you know it was bought up by a bigger farm and tore off the farmstead and that tore out the trees and, you know. And so, it, do you still have the multi generational families and aunts and uncles and cousins, or is is or has the uh, or, or is it sort of a different uh, sociology now in the, in in those areas? Yeah, I would say yes and no. I think um, you know what we've seen uh, kind of demographically is is you it's it's a bit of a both and you have you have on the one side because of of the uh, the substantial size of most farming operations, um, they are oftentimes employing a couple of generations uh, just simply because it it takes so much more manpower uh, to be mm-hmm. able to uh, accomplish all the work that they have to do. So you still see some of that. Although it's more um, it's more hired workers than you know it used to be you know dad and grandpa uh, were out there with the son grandson and and they were making it happen you know on the the few hundred acres and now with thousands and 
thousands of acres. You have a, a lot more folks being employed uh, by those um, by those farmers. Uh, conversely, they're having to get a lot more um, uh, creative with the way they're doing things, but that does leave some of the folks out, you know, whereas mm-hmm. the, the family farms are, are going away. So now what do we do? Uh, so you, it's kind of a both and. You still see some folks really clinging to it, and, and so you have a lot of, you have a, a group of people who will stick around the, the rural areas and the small towns because that's where they're from and they don't want to live anywhere else. Right. And so you still have that, but yet then you, you also have the other side of that where folks have to go away because, you know, I'm not going to be involved in the family farm anymore. And so the people that are coming in and taking their place are, you know, quote unquote, foreign to that area. Mm. And so, oh my. and and yeah, yeah, <laughs> and they don't necessarily have uh, the same ties uh, to the community that the 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 other group has, and so you almost have a a, a clash of mindsets there. Hmm. Um, and so you you have this group that's maybe coming in, and you know, take for instance where I'm at in Concordia, Missouri, it, it's it's nothing to get into Kansas City. So you have you know you have some folks that are that are really commuting every day and aren't necessarily part of the fabric of the community, whereas you have the folks that are deeply ingrained here and never going to leave, uh, down several generations, you know, even kids that are in high school now that are saying, I'm not leaving here. Mm-hmm. But that's certainly becoming uh, far more rare than it was in the past. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Well, that does bring up a, a good point, too, um, that there is a mission field. You know, if those, those people that weren't raised in that church and that local community for generations, that there are new people that are in the community that um, the church can reach out to. Um, if we're going to talk a little bit, you know, from a biblical perspective about the mission and the, the both in, I mean, I got to put in a plug here for City because, you know, I think I, I <laughs> so I mean, I preach at some small towns all the time and uh, it's just kind of, and my, my folks, I mean, that's, that's my background. I mean, I'm from, uh, farming community that's my heritage but um for for the people that always laugh when i they find out i'm the urban inner city guy and they say you know i could never live in the city i always say well you know i hope that's not true because at the end of times there's this new city that comes down out of the (laughs) so you know but i guess i got to pull a plug in for the city and even some of the, the the parables that are used to describe the the end times and how the master sends the servants out for the the wedding banquet, and he says, "Go out into the alleys and the streets and bring in the marginalized uh, in the city." But uh, definitely, um, Todd, I think you can make a pretty good case biblically for mission work in the rural small town. I mean, Jesus himself was born and raised. Uh, I think it's fair to say in more rural small town. I think a lot of his ministry was there in the countryside, and he certainly said to go go into the villages, what, do you, what would you kind of describe as kind of a biblical, you know, mandate for why we need to be about mission? Yeah, I think, you know, it, it's, uh, <clears throat> just for the record, those cities were all very small. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there. So I, I would like to add, Todd, I think the new Jerusalem is going to be a better place to live than Cleveland. But, no, with all no. due respect the to Cleveland. The Browns are on track this I year. Mean, no, no. I'm Browns sure Cleveland are, is a wonderful place, yes. but it's not going to come here. The new Jerusalem will look far more like Iowa than Ohio. I'll tell yeah. you that. Hey, okay, I can, I'm gonna, I can flip that, though. I hear, too, that the, the Garden of Eden was like a 
metropolitan, you know, in New York City kind of a garden, not, you know, not your typical country garden. So and cities, be up on top of a roof. Cities were, <laughs> cities were God's gift. It was a place of commerce and safety and security and yeah. arts and culture. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's, anyway, yeah. so let's, yeah. let's well, go back. <laughs> do, you, do you remember the question, Todd? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Where were we? Um, so I, mission, yeah. yeah. I think, uh, it, it, it's all nations. Yes, I mean, that's, this, absolutely. This, you, you wrap it up into all nations. Right on. And it doesn't matter... Uh, where those nations are located, that's where we're sent. If you look historically, mm-hmm. and I've done a, a ton of research here lately for a project that I'm working on, uh, on you know historic LCMS missions, um, it's fun to read through uh, the, the the first 150 years of of differing uh, of the different districts that were uh, that the LCMS was comprised of them, and even pre-LCMS uh, synodical activities that were going on, you know, with the various synods. Uh, uh, they they were going out, and and while uh, there was, they, they had a focus on on all of it. So mm-hmm. there there right. was the there was the city plan, yep. and they were starting orphanages and and hospitals uh, to care for the folks so that they could you know uh, you know help these people where they were at mm-hmm. and, and bring the comfort of the of the gospel to them. But yet the same thing was happening out in the hinterlands. I just was reading a, a really interesting story about. Um, uh, uh, oh, not Nebraska City, Nebraska, but it was over in that general direction, mm-hmm. uh, maybe Falls City, something like that. Yeah. Uh, and how the pastor there, uh, the railroad came through, and there were there were they were having a very large orf- orphanage problem. They didn't have mm-hmm. one, and all these orphans, and so they started one there. And and the phenomenal mission work that came out of that, yeah. you know, in in this little. Berg in Nebraska along the railroad, <laughs> yeah. and so it yeah. was. It's it's a wherever it's at kind right. of thing, and it, it is amazing. Like you do read some of these stories, or you look through some of the the logs of you know meetings that were recorded or whatever it is, and how how there did seem to be like there's a missionary that served the city. Like you got a Winnikin, and he's like there in Baltimore, and you know all these different pla- big cities, and yeah. that just seemed to be, and then. Uh, you know, you have other guys that were just amazing missionaries, just out in the pioneer frontier kind of thing, and it, it's fascinating how some some kind of gravitated or had more of a you know a knack <laughs> for that context. But then there are also such great similarities, like when you talk about the orphanages and how how important mercy work was as alongside of the the gospel word and sacrament ministry that was being established. So. Todd, talk a little bit about, um, you know, some of these, uh, not just similarities, but what, what are some of the similar challenges that, that you see? What are, what are some of the things that are challenging to mission work right now in rural small town? Well, I think you, the, the, the similarities and challenges, I really think you find that in <clears throat> uh, one of the biggest ones, and, and, and I, I really can't speak to whether it's, it's an issue in, in the urban uh, situation or not, but I know one of the, the the myths that we have is you know you have a town of of a thousand people and there's five or six uh, Christian uh, you know denominations uh, different denominations of churches mm-hmm. congregations there their their membership roles far outpace the actual uh, population of the community and so everybody if you go back to these same old you know as Mark, what you were talking about, the family, all these families have brought up, been brought up in these congregations, so the entire community's churched, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're all part of a church, and right. they're all 
but that myth is just not there. Uh, you know, the myth doesn't play out. And so there's the idea that, that there isn't anything to be done here because of that. The other, the other side of the coin, and I think probably the bigger problem, and, and this I think is very common to, to all of us, is the idea that because we are uh, lacking manpower, because we are lacking innovation, we're lacking resources, we don't know what to do, so we're just throwing our hands up and saying, uh, you know, it's just, we just can't. It's yeah. just not worth the effort. Uh, we can't make a difference. And so we, we stymie ourselves uh, in fear, and, and we just don't want to move forward. And that, that's true. I mean, whether it's urban or rural, when you look at some of these huge, I mean, I, I was watching a webinar on, it was actual rural ministry. I kind of wanted to get a sense of this for, you know, our work in church planting and just the numbers. Uh, and it just so resonated with me in the inner city. For example, like when, almost, you know, over 40% of people in rural contexts see drug addiction mm-hmm. as a major problem mm-hmm. or unemployment as a major problem or lack of access to public transportation as a major problem. You know, when a quarter of the people say that they have difficulty with medical care, getting access to good medical care. I mean, all those things are exactly what you hear in some of these smaller, struggling inner city communities as well. And there's just so much, I don't know, you know, I think the internet thing is more, (laughs) (laughs) I think we have the internet covered in in the city, but, but um, yeah, just like their, their financial means and not seeing a bright future. I mean, when you have like 40% of the population that don't see uh, hope, you know, I think, I think there's a lot of similarity in terms of the challenges that our missionaries are facing in either one of these contexts. Well, and, and to, to engage and activate the, the laity to see, the, you know, it's, it's energizing, mm-hmm. you know, I put that kind of in quotation marks, when you see, it's also a bit depressing, but when you see the mission field that's around here, yeah. uh, whether you're in the, in the you know, inner core of the city or you're out here in the hinterlands, um, when you see this, this uh, mission that's all around you, it can be very energizing, and yet we've, we've got to have folks that can lead the laity, number one, to see it, and number, number two, to show this is, this is why the Church exists. Yeah, and and we can't go on just being our own, you know, private little club until we until we shut the lights off, right? And the last one goes home. Right. Um, but yet we're we're in, we have to be engaged in the work that the Lord has called us to do in and amongst the folks where He has called us to do that. Right and, on. and I think that's that's something that we have to help folks see so that they can they can uh, take ownership of it, if you will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and really get engaged. Yeah, and, and you use that word engage. I know you guys are very involved in engaging your community. And for us on the inner city side, we do quite a bit of work, whether it's education, health, uh, it, whether it's kind of bigger community development, you know, blight and crime and unemployment. You know, there there are things that can be done. There are some pretty, pretty amazing stories that are out there of, of communities um, seeing some revitalization and also uh, transformation that happens. What What are some of the things that you have seen happening in terms of congregations uh, that are really trying to engage their communities in mission? Well, I think where, where congregations have probably been the most 
you know, successful, if you will, and uh, is really the, the congregation that goes and finds out really where, where the community is at, not yeah. to try to engage a community from our memory, you know, our, <laughs> our memory of 40 right. years ago, right. but where is our community actually at now, yep. and where can we go out and find and engage and build relationships with people in the community? And, and also kind of a side note to that is not to worry, and I think this is, it, it all goes to motivation. We do a lot of talking about motivation. Yeah. What is our motivation for doing this? If our motivation <laughs> right is to get people in to the pews so that we can increase our number of giving units so that our budget looks better yeah. and we're not hemorrhaging money every year, um, that's not very good motivation, yeah. and, and it right. won't be successful. Yep. But if our if our motivation is to get out where the people are, so, you know, to go out along the stream where the people are doing their laundry, to use a kind of a Pauline context, <laughs> sure. um, you know, where they gather there, uh, if we're going to where the people are gathered and engaging them where they're at, then we have an opportunity to share uh, share their lives with them, build these relationships so that we can have the doors open to share the gospel. And I think that's that that, that kind of that seeing it, yeah. and then having the, the right motivation to go do it. Right on. And I like what you're saying, too, and, ter- and it's kind of similar as well to the city where it's kind of an asset-based approach. You're looking at what what does the community already have and how do you work kind of hand-in-hand uh, to uplift and to encourage and to bring resource. Um, and then, like you said also, it's just unfortunate that in so many other organizations that aren't faith-based that there's you know sometimes even profiting off of poverty and all the rest. And what makes it different for the church is that it's truly transformational and that it's, you know, issues of the heart. And we bring God's word and sacrament, bring people to repentance and forgiveness. But ultimately, that the motivation is not to build our own kingdoms. Uh, rather, it is simply to love the neighbor. Right. And yeah, that's exactly. what compels us. Yep. You know, that's why we put the senior HUD facility in. You know, that's why we do the, the child care um for for people uh, that are in need, so th- those are the different uh, you know ways that we we view things. This is in no way uh, for our own profit. It's simply right. out of loving our neighbor. Um, what else do you see happening in terms of kind of going forward uh, in in the years ahead in terms of what's happening for opportunities for mission in rural small town? I know that you've you've had some conversations uh, about partnerships and maybe. The other term people use is kind of multi-site, but what do you see happening there, Todd? Yeah, I really see the the, the further we move out into the future and, and taking, you know, trying to, to parse what that looks like, um, I think we're going to be looking more towards the past, uh, if you will, uh, <laughs> because there's some great models that came out of the early church in the United States uh, that we, I think, really can embrace in a healthy way. Um, and And as you mentioned, we, we do do a lot of, uh, uh, I guess, assistance, uh, mm-hmm. co- coaching, if you will, um, on with congregations looking at how can we partner with one another, uh, and, and there's a myriad of different kind of models, but how can we, as the Church, partner with one another so that we can accomplish uh, together what we couldn't necessarily accomplish apart? And, and I think, again, this goes back to the old, uh, the old motivation, uh, question: What is our motivation for doing this? And, and if you think about their, the dual parish model mm-hmm. for a long, long time was, uh, and I think really probably, oh gosh, I don't even know, I couldn't put a date on it, but 
but in in more recent history the the dual parish was really a model that came about because one congregation couldn't afford a pastor the other congregation couldn't afford a pastor hmm. so we'll we'll combine together and and utilize one guy and together we can share him 50 50 60 40 or whatever the case may be instead of thinking that way and putting everything in the realm of budget and monetary issues uh let's think about what can we accomplish in mission together mm-hmm. And, and so when we start using that as our motivation, then all of a sudden these these partnerships come alive, and and we're able to do some things that otherwise we would have been too afraid or or ill-equipped to do. And now all of a sudden we can do these things. Mm-hmm. And this is really what the, uh, again the early church in the United States was doing. Mm-hmm. They yeah. were they were looking. Okay, we've got this going on, or we've got nothing going on out here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this pastor is is available and energetic enough. To, to go out and cover that, and yeah. then if, if you over there can help cover this as well, and, and we start making these plans of how we can help one another, and we start building the church in that way, yeah. and and I think there's um, there's a lot to be said about that. Oh, yeah, and I, I even in the suburbs, you know, with a lot of kind of coaching that Mark and I have done uh, for starting new missions, um, yeah, that circuit rider model, I mean, the old mm-hmm. school, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm with you, I kind of read through the history and the and the the logs of what all went on, but you saw families that moved out west into this kind of hostile territory yeah. to Christianity, yeah. and they they had a church worker that went out, and they had the circuit rider, and you know, I mean, it, it's not the same now that we have you know cars and buses it's, and everything, it's a, it's but a heck of a lot easier. <laughs> but I mean, it's right. just, it's very similar. It's a it's a, a pastor and a congregation that make the commitment to daughter a congregation. Maybe they're meeting in a hotel. Uh, conference room or a funeral home chapel or whatever it might yeah. be, and then then the the local pastors are all making a commitment to help to serve in terms of the word and sacrament ministry until that that uh, daughter congregation is kind of up up and running. But that you know kind of that old school approach uh, still seems to. Yeah, work today, Mark. Yeah. Um, I think it's our church in Brazil that uh, had kind of a different idea that we could well learn from. Yeah. I think for the American pastor, the goal is to reduce the number of parishes you serve. Okay. Like I was in a triple parish, now I'm in a dual. Now I'm in a single parish. <laughs> so I'm, I'm making progress. <laughs> Yay! But in Brazil, I, I've heard them heard it said that their goal was to increase the number oh, of wow. places okay. that they were serving. Yeah, That's radical. We only used to have one, but That's now I got two, now I have two towns and three towns. And, pretty radical. You know that the, that they're planting churches and reaching out yeah. and. Uh, so I think that's kind of what you were saying, Todd, is, you know, what can we do together? What can we advance the mission? Mm-hmm. Not just about survival, yeah. well, but rather and, about and, reaching people for Christ. Right? And, and and that's a great model. You you mentioned that, Mark, because it's not being so parochial that I'm worried about how this is going to affect me or my particular congregation, but mm-hmm. I'm concerned about the kingdom. Yeah. And so right. I can get beyond this... this uh, these restrictions that I'm putting on myself. That, I mean, you got a guy like built here in in uh, Concordia, Missouri, who was riding out to Colorado <laughs> on a horse, you know, because right. and he wasn't he wasn't motivated by money because yeah. he wasn't getting any. Um, right. but, and but highly that educated. Was his that was yeah. his calling. Could have made m- exactly. way more money with his education elsewhere, but oh yeah, yeah. served but, the, served for a long time. All the churches in New Mexico, all of our churches were named Emmanuel because there was one guy <laughs> from Albuquerque. He, he went out everywhere and yeah. he took the train, and if the train went there, he started a church and there, many. Many many places in uh, New Mexico to this day, the the church is Emmanuel. So uh, I mean, it was I don't know the date, but it was quite a while before there was a 
well into the 20th century before yeah. there was a church in New Mexico that was not an Emmanuel. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> There's all this this one pastor who had passion to reach yeah. people. And yeah. He, yeah, he, he went wherever oh, wherever the train that's went. What, that's what I said at my city church at St. Paul. You know, you really kept to their namesake because it was a mother congregation for all sorts of other congregations uh, surrounding. So That's beautiful, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> well, and, that's and, the way it should be. Berkeley, yeah. you saw that over and over and over again, and then... And then the further away from that we got, where you had, you know, you had congregations that were mothering or, you know, daughtering or, or even granddaughtering mm-hmm. multiple congregations in their area to that same congregation now closing themselves off and completely hmm. uh, becoming inwardly focused yeah. because I feel threatened now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I'm, I don't, I'm not as wealthy, I'm not as, uh, as, youthful as I once was, so I'm going to become inwardly focused, which is just a sure and certain way to die. <laughs> does right. seem to be the case. And yeah. it does bring uh, health to the mother congregation. I, I've mentioned that a few times now, that uh, it's you know been proven that one of the things you can do to bring, bring health and vitality to your own congregation is to be about mission and starting new missions. It just, uh, you know, especially when it comes to doing new work and new places and seeing what's happening there and how, how can you bring that into your own congregation. I think there's a very healthy relationship there. It's certainly sacrificial, just like any parenting would be, no doubt. But, um, yeah, so that that's a good, uh, good point to bring up. Um, another thing that I know that we've both kind of talked about as well is just the financial challenge, Todd. I mean, that's one of the major issues that people bring up is the money's just not there. You know, you're taking away resource. We're already having enough trouble as it is to just hold our own. And now you're talking about new mission work. Um, What's been going on in terms of some of these financially struggling uh, rural small town mission when it comes to what you can either describe it as being bivocational or some people like to refer to it as Co-vocational, the difference being is that the other vocation um, somehow ties back into the mission. But what what do you see going on there? Yeah, I think that it it's certainly happening in a lot of places, and uh, it it can be done well or it can be done poorly. Hmm. And I think that uh, I think it's going to become it, it, the handwriting on the wall. It, it certainly looks like it, it's going to become a bigger and bigger reality. Uh, for more and more of our congregations as we move forward. But again, it, it, you know, what are, why are we doing this? If we're doing this to survive, then perhaps we should just close the doors and call it good. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to let you know, some other entity come in and fill the void. Mm. Uh, because if we're going to do this with the, the, the attitude that I just want to do this so I can keep our pastor around so that he can do my funeral and bury me someday, um, then that's not a particularly good motivation. But if we want to say, how can we continue to engage this mission field around us in a, in a real way, uh, in, in a, in a quote-unquote dynamic way, uh, perhaps moving uh, to a, a different ministry kind of uh, model is important, and, and part of that could be, uh, you know, bivocational kind of pastorates mm-hmm. where where it's not just the pastor who is is changing his vocation where he's you know essentially now working two full-time jobs but it's it's equipping and strengthening and educating the laity in that congregation to start picking up some of the mission work that perhaps they were just relying on the pastor to do himself because we had a full-time 
always available pastor. Yeah. And so it's it's really about how can we look at this as as a stepping stone to be able to do more mission than we've been doing in the past. Yeah. And yeah. and and do it with with the finite resources that the Lord is blessing us with at the at the current moment. Right. The, very good. And I I know too um and maybe this is a city thing that'll ripple out a little bit too, but uh it's a little edgy, I have to admit, but this idea of kind of self-sustaining ministry, when it's really financially challenging to have some sort of enterprising way, you know, for whatever reason, whoever in their vocation is not able or capable or just not doing it in terms of bringing employment into some of these communities, you know, there's there are times where a faith-based organization can help to assist with that, to help create jobs. I was just on a panel with the Surgeon General, and he was talking about workforce development being one of the key factors in recovery. We were just talking about the opioid epidemic. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just such a hopeless cycle. When you're alienated by your family, when you have no chance of getting a job because of what's going on in your recent history, no matter how you know uh, good of a person you were up until you know your life kind of unraveled, uh, he said, you know, you cannot underestimate the, the place that faith-based organizations have in terms of showing mercy to these folks and how it also um, can help uh, with, with the self-sufficiency uh, of the, the ministry itself. So I, I do think there might be a, a future for that as well. Oh, I think there's definitely, uh, uh, and, and I think sometimes this is viewed as sort of a, a, a bad way to, or a bad word, but just being entrepreneurial, mm-hmm. um, whether it is as the church worker himself or herself or or the uh, congregation as a whole, mm-hmm. what what is our community need and where can we start to address that and and how can that benefit the ongoing ministry? It's it's not a dirty word to say we can, uh, uh, you know, we're we're operating. Uh, um, you know, a daycare or a preschool uh, that's helping fund the ministry. Right. That's not a. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Right. And uh, sometimes you unintention unintentionally uh, are creating work. Yeah. You know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, we had a, we had a couple of ministries on our our campus that uh, where I was in the inner city, and it required people to have jobs. And I know, <laughs> you know, I don't think that was the worst thing in the world in a, a neighborhood that really struggled. Uh, with work. I know here in Ferguson, Missouri, one of the issues uh, that, that popped up was uh, the unemployment rate doubled in a decade's time. So I, I don't think that that's necessarily the worst thing in the world either, that the church, uh, you know, supports ministries that uh, assist their neighbor, again, um, lovingly bringing them out of poverty and not just helping them in their circumstance, but to help them to uh, in a dignified way, find find their way back. So right, yeah. right, and and not just yeah, we're not just putting a band aid on the 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 presenting problem. Yeah. We are literally helping them um, recover, and and as part of that, there if if it's if they can be integrally involved in the work of whatever that the the endeavor of the congregation is then that's more opportunity for us to have influence mm-hmm. over what they're hearing, thinking, yeah. seeing, reading. So right. a little bit of the out-of-the-box thinking for how we're going to support these ministries, but you know, it seems that uh, that is one of the challenges that we're going to have to face. And Absolutely. I know it, it does seem, uh, you know, when we're talking about the populations 
of maybe the rural small towns and the shrinking and that sort of thing. But I have a, at least a few of my classmates that have uh, gone on to plant new congregations, and they're not in the big city. Um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I, it's I, happening. I, I, it's happening. <laughs> so I'm assuming that if it's happening, that there's still opportunity. Does that sound right, Todd? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah there's opportunity all over the place. And, and it's even, you look at the, the density of LCMS churches, just in particular in, in the state of Missouri, in the mm-hmm. Missouri district, there's still places where we have zero influence. Yeah. And, and there's no reason. We have a ring of congregations around them, mm-hmm. but we've got, no, we've got no influence in this particular community. You know, we, we need to keep our eyes open for that. Yeah. There was a day when we would have edged our way there, but for whatever reason, we, we stopped. And, uh, and, and, and that kind of goes to the other side of things, too. Um, we need to continue to think, okay, just because a ministry has been present in a place, if it happens... We don't necessarily, and you you try to say this delicately, we don't necessarily have to continue the same ministry that's been going on in a particular place. It might be something where we need to discontinue uh, a particular ministry uh, or congregation and and come back in with something different. Yeah, and uh, I think because of because of the history of what's going on there. Right on. And for Mission Field USA, in terms of being a kind of a national initiative, I think it is all hands on deck. And so maybe it is rural and small town, you know, being our major base of who we are as a, a church body. But you know, not only helping to support that new church plant in small town Idaho, but also you know, is is there a way? Uh, you know, is there a way that we kind of band forces to start a big city church, you know, in one of our, our major cities? Because typically the model has been locality. You know, right. I think, you know, your your local congregations come together to, to daughter a congregation that's in the region. But what about in those areas that are, you know, huge major cities that are not near where, again, the base of our congregations are, but the need is just so great. Do you, do you see something there too for partnerships in terms of starting something even outside of your region? So within a district, maybe the district is typically more of a rural small town church, but is, is there a way that they can come together for, for city work, do you think? Well, absolutely. And I think that, again, it gets, it, it's, it, I guess it's incumbent upon us, and I say us kind of as a general term, those who want to help lead the way and in in this sort of endeavor to to help folks become less parochial Mm. and and not worry about well this is just going to detract i can't we can't afford it it's just going to detract from what we're trying to do here but instead see it as the motivating factor if we do this and like you said it it's helping the the faith-based the faith-based um organization that's assisting in the community it's actually doing wonders for the the congregation itself well that's the same thing if we are um if we're banding together there's a great need in, in, in you know wherever the case may be uh if there's a great need there we see that we see that we can be a part of bringing the gospel to that place even from our you know little old backyard um that's good for us because it's getting us thinking outside of ourselves yeah absolutely yeah. and so right, so it could be that it's a church in Iowa that has a, an apartment complex across the street that's filling up with Burmese refugees. You know, it's like, hey, there's a mission field. Or it could be that in our, one of our major cities with, you know, two million people in population, and there's you know maybe one LCMS church. 
uh, you know, we, we can all look at that and say, boy, there's just all sorts of ministry and mission that could could happen here if we would all kind of work together. Well, and rather than sitting back and saying, oh, gosh, I wish we had that opportunity, uh, <laughs> you know, where we're at. Right. Well, <laughs> why don't you have that opportunity? <laughs> you do. You yeah. just don't want to take advantage of it. Right on. Yeah. Mark, any last thoughts? Well, um, it's, it's kind of fun to talk about this. It brings back a lot of uh, my background. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, you yep. know, uh, been there, uh, done that. Yeah, growing up in Nebraska on the plains, where you could uh, <laughs> you could see the ne- the elevator from the next town from the <laughs> farm. You know, it's, uh, it's, it was very flat where I live. Uh, but also that uh, yeah, it, it, things are changing, and there's a great opportunity for us, no matter where we are. And as long as there's people there, there's mission opportunity. And um, and and like you said, Todd, you you can't presume that uh, people are uh, that there's no mission field in those areas. Right there certainly right. is. There M- certainly is. Maybe at a distance, maybe be sparser population, but we're still talking about millions, millions. upon millions oh, yeah. upon yeah, 80%, millions. Eighty percent of the United States <laughs> lives in urban areas. Yeah. Well, okay, but that's still twenty percent <laughs> of three hundred what seventy million people. Right on. Right, right. That's and, and, a lot of people. Right. And 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 again, the percentage of the unchurched, uh, right. you know, across the board, no matter where it is, right. there's. Right. There's a ton of opportunity in Mission Field USA. And, and there's certainly um, the opportunity for those who may be only nominally connected yeah. to a church. You know, and I think that might be a greater uh, instance in the, in the rural areas and urban. I'm not sure. But, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, there's, there's no lack of opportunities mm-hmm. to share the gospel. And Exactly. And I think using witness and mercy and life together to establish relationships with people who are outside of the church, to bring them into the life of the church— um, there's no shortage. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no doubt. No there's doubt. no shortage. And and I do, I mean, uh, Todd and I kind of uh, go back and forth a little bit in fun, um, but it is a, a great privilege to be able to work side by side and to see the similarities, to share in those challenges, but also to, you know, um, kind of think through things uh, and to talk about how, how we do work together across the board. And so, um, Todd, it's, it's always a, a pleasure to, to work together as, as we look at Mission Field USA as a whole. And, uh, you know, even though in a lot of ways it seems like we're in two different worlds. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're, you know, two, we're in two very similar different worlds. We are. We are. And the opportunity is there. And, uh, you know, it's just a blessing uh, to be able to work together on uh, projects in terms of uh, the mission of the church. And uh, may God continue to bless both our rural and small town congregations and also our city ministries as we do bring forth the gospel to reach the least and the lost. So, Todd, thank you so much for being with us together. It's uh, great to have you. Oh, great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. All right. And as always, Mark, thanks for being here with me. My pleasure. All right. So we'll catch you next time. Thanks, Mission Field USA. Thanks for listening to the Mission Field USA podcast for church planting. Visit lcms.org slash church planting for other resources and information to share your ideas and to contact us. The Mission Field USA podcast is a production of the Office of National Mission of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in partnership with KFUO Radio. The Lord be with you.